So uh, we're in James chapter 3. There should be some Bibles around you. You could swipe open your phone. Words will be up on the screen too. Um, But we're in James chapter 3, and we're continuing on in our series called The Awakening, where we are becoming more alive to who we are meant to become. And it's like we're coming up out of these bodies of death into new life, as we've always been meant to come out of. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to see the role that words play in our own awakening. And they are words that first start in our heart, and then two, come up out of our mouth, and then three, direct our lives in the way we live, and four, direct the lives of others. In other words, words are incredibly important, and they're probably either bringing more life and more flourishing into your life, or they're leading to your demise. So, and and my hope today is that by the time we're done here, you will have learned the importance, but also you will have the tools to when those words that shouldn't be spoken are about to come out of your mouth, that you will swallow them down. And the words that ought to be spoken would fly from your lips to bring life to you and to the people around you. So, James 3. Verses 1 through 5. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Now there's a mistake that people make when they read these verses, and they assume that these verses are primarily about someone like me, who is a teacher. And that would be a mistake. They're secondarily about teachers, but primarily these verses are about all of us. And there's a thing that happens. Preachers make this mistake. You read these verses, and here's what happens. You start off and you say, okay, the first verse I read talks about teachers. So everything that follows must be about teachers. And so, so here's a quick, like, how should you read your Bible? Well, first, you start with a word. Then you start with the verse, then you start with the paragraph, and then you go on to look at the whole section and then the book as a whole. And what happens is, if you don't read that way, you're going to miss the point of what it's saying. There's a thing called verse-by-verse preaching, and it's a great thing unless the verses aren't connected to what comes before or after. And if they're not connected, then you lose the meaning. And what James is doing here is he's not talking primarily about me, but he's talking about all of us. And, he, and he's meant, he, he kind of insults us. And he says, not many of you should be teachers, because the words that are coming from your mouth would do great harm if those words were spoken as a teacher. He's calling us to change the way we're speaking, both internally to ourselves and to the people around us. 
And what he's saying is, well, your words, they're either going to bring life or they're going to lead to your demise. And you might be saying, well, hey, it's a good thing I'm not a teacher. And again, that's not what these verses are saying. His problem is not primarily with teachers, but with the church, with the people of the church and the way that they are speaking. And he's not talking about you being talented with your words. He's talking about words that reveal there's something wrong with your heart. And in fact, the book of Hebrews talks about this. All of, the book of Hebrews is pressing all of us to become teachers. And, and what the writer of Hebrews says is, many of you are on milk and you should be on solid food. And what he's saying here is that many of you are like a nursing child up on the mother's breasts, and you are being fed by teachers. And what he's saying is you, you have to go on to solid food so that then you could teach others. So the writer of Hebrews is comparing teachers to a mother who is nursing her children. I mean, it's, well, it's there. So the point is, we need to all be called to go on to maturity with our words. Every single one of us. And if we don't, then it's going to lead to our own fall. And not just ours, but the fall and the demise of those that we love in our life. So, press on to maturity. So here's our first point that we're going over. Here's the first thing I want you to hear. The power of words. So words will either lead to your transformation or your, to your demise. So James's claim is that the words that are in your heart and that are spoken by you from your mouth will steer your life in the, whatever direction it's going in. And it's about direction. So this is, are you on the right path or the wrong path? It's all determined by the words that you believe that are in your heart and then that are spoken out by you. So path to transformation or path to destruction. And then James goes on in verse 5, and he says that the tongue is a small fire that can set a forest ablaze. And he's saying that your words can either bring life or can burn your life to the ground. And not just you, but those that you love. So if you have control of your tongue, then you are like the rider of a horse who steers his life and or her life all the ways that they should go. Or, the tongue, you're like a captain of a ship, and you're steering the ship whichever way it goes. And the people on the ship of your life, you're also steering them in whatever way that they are going. So that's the power of words. And if you can control your words, it will lead to a flourishing marriage. You'll have wisdom in your parenting. You'll have great friendships. You'll be a great leader. You will flourish in your career. This is generally speaking. If you have your words right, it's going to lead to flourishing in your life. Not always. There are always exceptions to the rules. You could do everything right and say all the right things and your life doesn't go the way that it ought to go and that's just the way that the world is. However, if you get your words right, generally speaking, it'll lead to flourishing. And then look at this. James in verse 2 says someone who doesn't stumble in their words, meaning they don't get off the right, they, they stay on the right path, they don't fall off the path, then they're perfect, able to bridle their life in whichever way it goes. 
meaning they're in complete control of the way that they're living. Living all the ways they ought to live, spiritually, emotionally, socially. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't feel much in control of my life. There are things that I don't want to do that I keep doing, and there are things that I know I should do that I don't do. But the person who is, has control of their tongue, well, they're making the right decisions morally, spiritually, emotionally. And it, James says that they're perfect. Now, this requires some explanation because the Bible is very clear that we will never reach perfection in this life. But twice now, James has told us to be perfect. So what's he doing? Earlier, he spoke about, look, here's what happens. You, when you go through trials, if you will be steadfast in your faith, that trial, that fire, the thing that you are going through, will transform you more and more into who you're made to become, and you will go on towards perfection. But you've got to be steadfast in faith. But when he talks about perfection here and earlier, He's not talking about you reaching perfection in this life. He's talking about a goal of maturity that every Christian must press on towards. There's a goal, there's a telos, there's an end that you are meant to reach in this life. A maturity that you're meant to live, live into. We, 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 looked about, we looked at this a few weeks ago when we compared Abraham and Rahab. James goes back and does this. Now, Rahab has just started her faith. She was a prostitute, and then she comes to faith, and she makes a great decision to help God's people be rescued. But she had just started her faith. And then we look at a man named Abraham who has gone on to maturity, gone on to reach the way James talks about perfection. And here's what happened. All through his life, he had challenges, difficulties, and he had the right words in his heart about God, and so it caused him to walk through the trials and difficulties, hanging on to God with all of his might, and as that happens, he walks through the fire, comes out on the other side transformed. That continued to happen to him all of his life until he's given this grand test at the end, and he passes it. Because he had a life that held on to the words that he was meant to hold on to from God. Believed the things in his heart that he was meant to believe. The right words had shaped him and caused him to transform. So, while none of us are going to reach perfection, we have to press on towards maturity. There's a version of you that you're meant to become. So keep going for it. Now, we're going to talk about how that, how that happens, but first, I want to get really practical. James wants us to do that. This is a book that's very practical. So I, I want to talk about our words and our life and how words lead to transformation. So I want you to imagine the father who comes home from work. He walks in the door. He's exhausted from a long day of work. And he's about to walk into the chaos that is his home because his kids are going to be screaming way too loud and he's got a couple of options, but here's what he's going to do. He's going to come in and he's going to get very stressed out from all the noise and in the chaos, he's going to scream into it with words that he probably shouldn't use in order to bring the chaos down. 
and he's going to be exhausted by his day. So he's going to walk over, he's going to grab a beer, and he's going to open it up, and he's going to drink it, not as a way to like celebrate with his wife or his family, but as a way to escape from the chaos that he's in. He's going to turn on the TV and not be a team player and not help out at all. Versus, that's one dad, versus the dad who walks in, and he left some energy for his family. He worked hard, but he reserved some. Because he knew he had to walk into that door of chaos and speak words gently that would order, bring order out of the chaos. He's ready to go have a beer with his wife, whatever, but to celebrate, not to escape things. And then, okay, so let's take um, the wife who's prone to depression. She's home, her kids are creating chaos, so she screams words into the chaos not in order to bring, not, not to bring a, a, an order that was done by good words, but words that were not, probably shouldn't have been spoken. And those words are now echoing in the hearts of her children. And now our children are being shaped by those words. And she just can't wait till they go to bed, so you grab a glass of wine and just escape from all of this. Or the mother who says, okay, I'm prone to depression, so she's prone to depression. But she's got a strength that comes from words that she knows to be true about God. And so she's, she's going to God for that strength. To endure the problems of the day. She's strengthened by him, by God. And she speaks sweet words into the chaos to bring order. Or you just think of a single person who just desperately wants to find love and isn't finding love. And is just now at the point of being desperate. To find someone. And just longing for anyone to say, I love you. But maybe it's not the right person. But there are words that she's speaking to herself or he's speaking to himself about what he needs or she needs in life. Now, okay. All of these people, the, the mom and the dad, they could all be the exact same person. What's the difference? Well, According to James and to God, trials are going to come before all of us. It's a trial to be a parent. It's a trial to be single. It's a trial to walk through this life. And you have to find the right words in order to have the strength to endure the trials that you will be walking through in this life. And if you find the right words, those words will lead to your transformation. In fact, the combination of the trial and the right words that you believe to be true in your heart, the combination of that leads to, a, leads to your own transformation. And it makes you sturdy in the midst of the trials you're going through. But in order to reach that, in order to be transformed, you have to have the right words. Meaning, not this. In order to get to God, you got to get, look, you got to get to God if you want to be transformed. And you got to have the right words that are going to get you to God. And I'm not talking about you praying the right way. I'm talking about you believing the right things, that when you believe them, the heavens open up and you have access to God who will give you strength. So, let's go through this. How does this actually happen? How do you be transformed by words? Well, you either will be a balloon that is tossed around by the wind, or you will be like a rock that's unmovable. And what we do is imagine yourself as a balloon, 
you're looking for something that you're going to put your faith in that will speak the right words so that you could be sturdy and steady, not blown by the trials of wind. But what you're doing is if you don't go to Christ, you're grasping hold of other things, and those other things are just other balloons. And as soon as you grab, you're like, I got it, this thing's going to help me. And you're blown away. You're trying to escape through drinking, porn, whatever it is. You grab hold of something, you're blown away. Or you grab hold of Christ, who is the rock, and then now you're sturdy, you're unmovable. So if you're the mom that's drowning, or the disengaged dad, or the single person who's struggling about it, or just struggling in any way in your life, right now God has you right where he wants you to be. And it could be an opportunity for you to press onto maturity if you will find the right words in the midst of the struggle you're going through. And then James tells us how to do it. So let's look at the horse, and then we're going to look at the ship. So the horse, the person, the rider of the horse is like the heart. The bridle in the horse's mouth is, the, is the, our words that steer our life, the body of the horse, in the direction that it goes. So the words are coming from your heart, out your mouth, and is directing your life, whichever way it goes. All right. James keeps going back to the heart. And if we look back to chapter 1, there was a place where James talks about pure religion and religion that comes from a heart. And right, next to, right after that, there's a little colon, little two dots, which means everything that he's about to say is something that flows from someone who has a pure heart, who is with God, who believes God with all of his heart. Okay, so here's how we said we have to think about this. You have to imagine your heart as a throne. And whatever sits upon the throne of your heart directs the way you think, the way you feel, and the way you act. And so your body is like a temple. And within that temple, there is a throne. And whatever sits on that throne directs everything about your life. So, I hope you see what's happening here. Those two moms that seem so very different are so close to the same person. There's only one difference. One of them has Christ sitting on the throne of her heart, directing her thinking, her feelings, and her actions, giving her strength to endure the problems. The other does not have Christ on the throne of her heart, but has something else that is powerless, that cannot offer her any strength. Therefore, she crumbles under the trials of life. So this is not about that you are just finding the right words to say to God. It's, it's that you have found Christ and he's sitting upon the throne of your heart and he's giving you the right words for you to know about him and about God and about yourself and about your kids and all the people in your life. So what that means is that the mother who looks in control of her life is not in control at all. Christ is. The father who looks in control of his life is not in control at all. Christ is. The single person who is content with being single is not in control of his or her little life. Christ is. Lose yourself and you will find yourself living a self-controlled life. You've got to lose control though. So what you do is this. 
If there are things in your life that you want to change, you've got to work your way backwards. So look at your actions and say, what, are, what am I saying? What are the words that are making me live this way? And you trace them all the way back to your tongue and then down into your heart. And then you say, what in the world is sitting on my heart that is causing my actions to be the way that they are? So you trace it all the way back and you say, okay, what's on the throne of my heart? Is it Christ or something else? And if it's something else, then here's what happens. Wrong words are being spoken from your heart to you about who you are, who the people in your life are, what they are like, what you are like. And if it's not Christ, it's something else. And that means the wrong words are coming, and those are wrong words that come from an unhealthy relationship, maybe. Wrong words that are left from wounds in your life. Wrong words about someone telling you that you're no good, and wrong words of you telling yourself that Christ could never forgive you. So you should be ashamed of yourself. And so then here's what happens. A feedback loop starts. And so you say to yourself, I'm ashamed of myself. And then you do something wrong. And then you become more ashamed. Say, see, I told you, you should be ashamed of yourself. You're horrible. And you say it again. And it gets worse, and it gets worse, and it gets worse. Here's what it's time for. It's time for some new words to be spoken on the halls of your heart so that they might echo out into your life. Words of healing that come from the Bible about what God thinks of you. That he thinks you are worth fighting for. That he thinks you are worth dying for, that he thinks you are worth it, and he was willing to endure the worst of suffering, death, and pain, so that he might have you, so that you might not be left the way that you are, but you would go on to become who you're made to become. And when you have the right king on the throne of your heart, who is speaking this way, not only are you then led to this path of transformation, but you bring others along with you. So, not all, so, so moving on from the horse to the ship. The ship represents multiple people being on the boat with you. And you, your heart, is like the driver, the captain. And the rudder or the steering wheel is like your words. And the ship are all the people in your life that you're speaking to. And you're taking them somewhere. And the question is, where are you taking them? Because if you're the mom or the dad, you're steering your family. If you're a boss, you're stealing your, you're steering, not stealing, steering your employees. If you're a friend, you're steering your friendship group. So if you don't have the right king, you lead all the people that you love in the wrong direction. And you can't help it because whatever sits on the throne of your heart is directing all of your life. And you can't help but then direct everybody else to go those places with you. It's a scary thought. And that's why James says, many of you shouldn't be teachers. Because if you were, I'm listening to your words and you're steering your own life in the wrong direction. And if, other, if you were teaching others, you'd be steering them in the wrong direction. But the problem is you can't escape from being a teacher. If you're a parent, you're a teacher. If you're a friend, you're a teacher. 
It's just whatever is on the throne of your heart causes you to think and feel and act certain ways and it exudes from you. So you can't help it. The question you have to be asking yourself right now is what direction are you taking the people in your life down? And is it the right one? This should be roaring at us that there's time to make some changes. As you walk through the trials of, trials of parenthood, maybe a problem in your career, maybe a moral failure, maybe it's physical pain, maybe it's pain caused by others. As you walk through the trial, you have to find the right words that will bring healing to your life. And if you don't, you will be steering all the people in your life in the wrong direction. I understand that you have been wounded in your life, that you have pain, that you have suffered, but you have to make a decision. Are you going to find the wrong words and steer people in the wrong direction, or will you find the right words that will steer you and your people that you love in the right direction? And until you turn to him, Christ, something else remains on the throne of your heart. And that thing becomes the one guiding the horse, which is your life, or the ship, which is the life of those that you love. So what you've got to do now is get off the throne of your heart and remove anything else that's there that is not Christ and crown him as king. And you have to turn to him fully, giving him complete control and authority over your life. And when you do that, there, he's crowned as the king. And then he is speaking words into your life that teach you how you ought to live and give you the strength to live that way. Words that turn from words of harm to words of healing. That give you strength instead of weakness. The thing that you need most in your life, out of anything, is him. And the thing that people in your life need the most, more than anything, is for you to crown him as your king. And it will be then that your life will be bridled with the right words, steering you in all the right ways. And now every wrong word, you will swallow it up, and all the right words you will let fly out. So now we've got to ask the question, the last question, last point. What are the words that you so desperately need? They're the words that come from the very heart of the king. The king whose words inside of him drove him to you. The king who loaded up on his white stallion in heaven and came down upon the earth to get you. Words that he speaks to you that you are worth it in all the ways that you have messed up. It was a delight for him to ride down here to get you. And guess what he did? He rode right up to the cross where you hung. That's right, you had a cross that was meant for you. A cross that's there that you drove yourself to because of the words that you spoke and to be true about your life, that you are guilty, that you should feel shame in your life, that you're no good. And those words kept playing on repeat until you walked right up to your own cross and said, this is what I deserve. This is what I deserve. 
And then he comes up. And he says, you're right. You do deserve this cross. But I'm taking it from you. And immediately, your eyes are opened and you say, ah, this is the one that's worthy of the throne of my heart. And you say, I believed the lie about him, the lie that was told all the way back at the beginning, that he's holding out on you, that the apple was something that's good for you, and he doesn't want you to have it because he is holding something back from you. He doesn't mean for your good, and you realize as he's hanging upon the cross, he's always meant for my good. He's always wanted what was good for me. And the good news is that he's risen, and he's alive, and he's a powerful king that you can now put on the throne of your heart and let him rule your life. So now, though you were ashamed, you can now be clothed with honor. Though you were guilty, you are now innocent. And though before you had weakness, now you have strength because the powerful king sits upon the throne of your heart. And so go to your captain and let him control where the ship of your life sails. Let's pray. Father, teach us to delight in this truth that your Son has come for us. God, help us to crown you as King. Help us to take our hands off of our hearts where we are clinging so tightly to the throne, wanting to be in control of everything. And let us let go of it and find you there sitting upon the throne of our hearts. Help us crown you, God. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, we get to do something beautiful today. Today is Communion Sunday, and I want to tell you what this is, what communion is, what the Lord's Supper is. So baptism and communion are called the visible words, which means this, all of the good words that I just spoke to you about him, your king coming for you, they're acted out right here. And as they're being acted out, we don't watch from a distance, but we participate. We walk up and we eat and we drink saying this, when you do that, when you come up, when you eat and you drink, you're saying, I believe that this is true with all my heart. And you're saying, you are my king. And what's happening is when his body's being broken, when we break the bread and we say his body is broken, here's what's happening. All of the wounds, all of the cracks in your life, all of the pain and difficulties, they've left you cracked open. But he is broken completely so that life can pour out of him so that you only have to be cracked open and not broken fully. He's broken so you can be healed. And when we drink of the cup, what we're saying is, hey, you made some promises long ago, like Eileen talked about to start us off, promises that you would come. And these are him fulfilling those promises. So you've got to understand what this is and what you're doing. All right. So I'm going to pray for us afterwards. Um, we, we do communion a little differently now, so we've got these little cups that you open up, the wafers inside of them. If you, if you need gluten-free, we've got some gluten-free bread for you in the baggies. All right? So I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to tell you what happened. 
Father, we pray that you would send your spirit now amongst us so that we might feel the weight of what we're participating in. And so we might believe these words to be true. We pray that your spirit would come and awaken us to this. Help us believe these visible words, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.